0: So we're going to explore for the next hour or so, the recent controversy over Zoom Siddharim. It's really a couple of different controversies, a couple of different uh, aspects of it uh, in Israel and in America. Um, I'm gonna share with you the, uh, a whole bunch of, of sources that I have uh, on a file here. So you'll, have, uh, you'll be able to, to follow along and uh, we'll go through some of the, the sources, but really what the goal is both to understand the controversy as it as it's happened, the different positions, and really to get at what's behind it. What are the what are the different values? What are the different sources? What are the different traditions that uh, the different positions are uh, are arguing for? And um, let me just share the uh, the relevant file with you, and we'll be able to jump into this together. So hopefully everyone uh, everyone is seeing the handout or theoretical handout, Halachic responses to coronavirus, should I have a Zoom seder? Um, so just eight days ago is when this really, this really uh, the, all the excitement came to the fore, an article in the Jerusalem Post and a few other Israeli publications um, saying that senior Orthodox rabbis allow Zoom for Passover seder due to coronavirus. Given the, the circumstances uh, that, uh, that we find ourselves in where, where shul isn't meeting, people aren't interacting in person, um, all that much, and uh, and and there's uh, recommendations against joining together for seder is a whole topic in itself. Um, but given all of that, what how how do you uh, how do you include how do you include people in your seder when they're when they're far away geographically? And uh, the the position we're going to explore in detail uh, controversially allowed for for having Zoom seder, having a joint seder together with family, uh, using the medium of Zoom. So before we, we read that uh, that shuba that response in itself, I just, I thought to help organize the material here, uh, source, source number two here, um, to give some guideposts, to give uh, the basic lay of the land of what we're gonna be talking about. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll come back to this at the end. Um, and uh, hopefully this will, will cover some of the main issues here. So first of all, there's, there's more than just one scenario. It's not just one, one type of case that, uh, that, that led to this whole discussion. There really are two or, or maybe three distinct scenarios um, that, uh, that may, be, you know, may be a good reason to have a Zoom Seder in the opinion of some. So one is where uh, you want to unite a family together. Usually you have an intergenerational Seder with parents and their children uh, and the parents, parents, the grandparents all together. Uh, that's, you know, that's a wonderful uh, family uh, event. And, and this year is a lot harder for that to happen. So maybe, maybe there's some, uh, that, that scenario presents a reason to have a Zoom Seder. In, in a different vein, um, the, the questions of isolation, issues of isol- isolation uh, and quarantine uh, can lead to, uh, to mental health challenges, being not being in touch with people over an extended period of time. If you're stuck in your home and you're not using uh, electronics, uh, electronic devices, that, that leads to problems, that's a second scenario. And then a third scenario that comes up a little bit is people who don't know how to make their own Seder. They don't know exactly what process to do and maybe there'd be some way of guiding them uh, using Zoom or, or even a phone call. So those are the three scenarios we're gonna see. And this discussion uh, started in Israel, uh, but plays itself out in America as well. And, and we'll see there are some major differences in, in terms of what's being discussed and the positions that we find. I'd say probably the two main differences uh, are, are related to one another, which is number one, that this year, uh, the, the beginning of Pesach is what we call a three-day Yom right? uh, The first two days of Yom Tov are, are Thursday and Friday. And that goes right into Shabbos, so that's 72 hours where uh, if you're not using electronics and you're not seeing other people, there's, no, there's basically no human interaction. So that's one way that America, the situation in America is different, is more difficult uh, in many ways. And secondly, the second day of Yom Tov, the second Seder, is, it's on the second day of Yom Tov in America, which doesn't exist in Israel, and there may be some leniencies there, as we'll see. So... Um, th- that's sort of the, the lay of the land in terms of the scenarios. We'll see, over the course of, of this discussion, there'll be different specific halachic issues raised by using Zoom. There'll be different values or reasons that one might want to use Zoom. We'll, we'll see all of those as we go forward, and then we'll see where, uh, you know, where the different positions fall out, and what distinguishes them, what, what, really, uh, what really makes a difference in these cases. So let's start, let's start in terms of the, the primary sources with this decision this uh, tshuva of sorts, published by the Igud Chachmei HaMa'arav Be'Eretz Yisrael, the scholars of the West, or the, the Maghreb, in the land of Israel, meaning uh, this uh, what, what some call Sephardic or Moroccan uh, postkim, uh, who all Rabbi, who all signed.
1: Rabbi Zofier, would you be able to um, to um, zoom in a little bit more?
0: Of course. Does that, is that helpful, or should I go further?
1: If you can go further, that would be great.
0: All right. Um, Okay, so I'm Zooming in on Zoom and <laughs> a Sheer about Zoom Siddharim. Wonderful. Okay, um, thank you. So um, here we go. So the, the, these uh, Moroccan rabbis have, were, had the following question. alnu al We were asked by a certain uh, scholarly rabbi if they can use Zoom in order to connect between uh, elderly people and their families. They can't be together because of habatzat because of the pandemic. And they want to do the seder together through this program of Zoom uh, or an equivalent. And it goes through it goes through some of the details. The question is, uh, is it is it masach echad masach Mishbacha, one screen in the, the, the you know in the uh, grandparents' house one screen in the uh, family younger family's house they're all together in terms of they can see each other they can hear each other. Um, so, this is an important detail. You're not turning on in this scenario, you're not turning on the Zoom or the computer on Yom Tov. You turn it on before Yom Tov and sort of leave it running, and then that night you have your, your Zoom Seder. You don't actually need to do anything on Yom Tov, it's already running. You just, you know, before Yom Tov, you put your computer with Zoom at the head of the table, and uh, then you start your Seder at the, at the appropriate time. In this emergency situation, can we use Zoom in order to connect between a family, uh, a, a multi-generational family for the Seder? And of course, you know, this is, this is an interesting question for many reasons, one of which, no one's ever asked this question before, because, well, we didn't really have great Zoom or Skype technology and, until very recently, and, uh, and the situation didn't really dictate itself until recently, certainly not on any sort of large scale. You, 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 the whole point here is because this year no one can stay with their family. There is an interest in uh, in, in uh, connecting virtually using Zoom. So that was the question, and here are the here's the answer. They say there's three potential issues uh, with uh, with using Zoom. Aleph, hafalata machir If you turn it on on yom tov, that would be a problem potentially. Bet, uvdin dechol, doing you know a, a non non yom tov like things. Uh, weekday-like things on Yom Tov, such as using Zoom. And third, <laughs> Once we allow this, there's a worry, what they call the slippery slope, the Midron Chalak that you'll use, you'll do this uh, sort of thing in other situations. Maybe next year, there won't be a pandemic, but people uh, don't want to stay with their uh, with their extended family. They want to Zoom and just, it's a, it's a nice shortcut. And that, we don't want that. That's a potential problem. And they go through the various details here, we're not going to read every word of this or, or any of the sources for reasons of time, but we'll, we'll, we'll highlight a couple of, of lines. They say in terms of electricity, they point to a very important back uh, uh, backstory. There's the opinion of most Sephardic, uh, Sephardic decisors is to permit the use of electricity on Yom Tov. This is something that's not, Uh, not terribly well-known. Generally, uh, if you ask uh, halakhali-observant communities, most of them overwhelmingly do not use electricity on Yom Tov, but many Sephardic and North African or Moroccan poskim do allow for the use of electricity on Yom Tov. Um, And they quote a bunch of other names. In our case, though, that's not even necessary. You're not turning on the computer on Yom Tov, it's turned on before. So, the, you know, the biggest worry you have is that maybe there'll be an issue with Zoom, or you'll need to, you'll need to go back in, the screen will time out, whatever it is. So, you, uh, you know, that's the biggest worry, you know, you need to adjust it. But even if you do, even if you do end up adjusting your computer and using electricity, uh, we can rely on all of these Sephardic rabbis who, who uh, permit this. And of course, the people who are undersigned are here are our Moroccan rabbis, they're within that tradition. So that's the first issue. Using electricity in Yom Tov, number one, you're not actually using it because it's set up beforehand, at least in theory. And number two, even if you do use it, it's actually permitted according to many. Second, in terms of Uv the Nechol, it's like a, a weekday sort of thing. And they say that it's for the purpose of a mitzvah, just like um, something that's doubly it's rabbinically prohibited for two reasons, is permitted for a mitzvah, so too here. And in terms of the worry about the, the slippery slope, they say it's very clear, Barur l'kulam she'kol ha-hater hu The permission here is only for an emergency scenario, there's no permission across the board and just it'll be very clear to people that this is only allowed here. And they say that it's, very, it's very helpful, it'll help, it'll help uh, people fulfill the mitzvah. All the, young, the younger generation that might not otherwise have a Seder, because they're connecting with their grandparents over Zoom, they'll fulfill the mitzvah. And it'll also strengthen the, uh, the grandparents, make them, give them motivation. Uh, to continue uh, being healthy, healthy to fight for their lives. There's a language there. Uh, maybe that's if they're sick. But even if they're not sick, it's uh, it's just a good, healthy thing to uh, to have a, a Zoom seder with your grandchildren. And they conclude, Al Therefore, we permit this. It's only in an emergency situation. Only for this year's seder, and only for someone who needs it. And they say it's it's you know that we can rely on this. And, uh, and then they say their blessing. Hopefully, this should lead to vahasiroti kirbecha. We should we should have no more disease. And then uh, about uh, fifteen or so uh, rabbis signed, including a couple of, of uh, fairly well known uh, decisors from the Moroccan community. Now this this is what led to all the articles um, for, on last Wednesday. And there was also a lot of pushback pushback among people saying, really, this is not a it's not a good uh, not a good heter, not a good permission and that when they reissued the statement sometime later, a bunch of the names uh, are missing, meaning a bunch of the uh, people who had signed to the original letter pulled out. And you see the the, the second uh, signed version. There's uh, seven names here rather uh, than the uh, 15 or 17 or so. So, but still, Ravelio Abergel, who was a major postage, is signed, and as are as are several others. So they didn't retract overall, but some of the some of those who who uh, who, who signed the original. Did retract. I included here a couple of, a couple of the retractions, Rav Moshe Suisa and Rav Yonatan Sarur, and this is really within hours. It's it's amazing uh, the the speed at which these things happen. You know, if you go back to uh, medieval times, people write a letter and a few months later they get a letter back and then they send it to a third party. And within a few years, you resolve the uh, dispute and the controversy. And here it's just a few hours between when this is issued and retractions and re re uh, reissuing. The the Psaac. So it's really uh, it's it's really a very different uh, a different world that we live in. Technology affects not only the halachic issues themselves, but also the way that they're discussed. So if we just take a quick look at a couple of the highlights of why these uh, postkin these people who signed the original letter retracted. Um, so you'll see um, in in Rav Sarur's letter he says that he misunderstood and he wants to uh, he says. We, uh, we need uh, unity among the rabbis. We need rabbinic unity. To strengthen the, uh, the rabbinut, the, the national rabbinate. We don't, we should, this is not the time to have uh, disputes and breakaway positions. This is a time to have unity, one, one rabbinic position uh, for, for everyone. So that's an interesting point. They're not, the, the retraction there is not based Particularly on halachic considerations, he doesn't go into detail about those. Neither one does, but it's about unity. And if we look in the other, uh, the other two uh, the, the the emphasis is um, is what this might lead to. Could they, uh, right over here, So there won't be a slippery slope. That's a, again, though, the primary basis of the objection is what this could lead to, not that there is a specific halachic objection in itself. So this is very interesting because. You know, very often halachic controversies. The, the the primary thing that's discussed are the halachic sources. Do you accept this position or that position? How do we poskine? Here, um, right up front, the, the retractions, the people who change their position. Uh, what they're invoking is not halachic sources, but broader policy sources, rabbinic unity, or slippery slopes, and uh, and 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 that explains their positions. Um, I included here uh, the original sacre of Avergell, who where he where he signed on in the uh, in this, uh, on, on the side to that psak, If you want, you can take a look, um, but we're not gonna go into detail about that. Let's take a look at a couple of the, of the um, objections to the psak by uh, chief rabbis or former chief rabbis. So, uh, and, and we'll again, we'll focus not just on the position they're taking, but what arguments they're making. So here is David Lau, current uh, Ashkenazic chief rabbi, uh, based on an interview uh, on, on the radio, but he says, the decision is it's uh, irresponsible. It's even worse than, than a joke. Uh, a lack of basic understanding of what it means to decide halacha. And, you know, you know they're misleading people. This is terrible. And again, what, the emphasis is not on the halachic issues, per se, here. The emphasis is on what this could lead to, how people might get confused, um, that uh, halachic decision-making isn't done like this. Again, the considerations, the sort of meta-halachic considerations of slippery slopes and lack of unity, that's what's invoked. If you look in in Rav Amar, former chief rabbi, Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, current uh, chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, Sephardic chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, so um, he he, he takes an even stronger stance, if that's possible. Uh, He says, uh, I don't believe that there are rabbis who would permit this. It's impossible. It can't be. Um, and there's all sorts of prohibitions here, uh, minor and major. He doesn't tell you what they are, but uh, he at least gestures at them. Who can estimate all the terrible, uh, terrible outcomes that this will lead to? This is a sin that leads to other sins. It's terrible. And uh, he goes on, he, he says that one of the people who signed on this letter is a reform rabbi, and uh, it's, it's terrible. So that's, that's, uh, that essentially is, is the thrust of Rav Amar. Again, in these sources as well, what's invoked is not the pure halachic concerns, but more the, more the meta-halachic or, or broader or policy uh, concerns. Just to give uh, the other side, um, Rav, Rav Chaim Amsalem, former member of Knesset and, and uh, also a POSIC in, in the Sephardic community, gives, uh, you know, gives permission, supports this position, he again invokes that, um, Where's the line here? These are these you know these are all uh, right and present and true. Are are great sages from the west of the previous generation. Not only North African Moroccan rabbis, but even other other rabbis. And this is true. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. They permitted electricity and like we're totally fine with it. it was no problem at all. Everyone in Morocco used to use electricity on Yom Tov, and in he indicates it's not just Sephardim, and if you look, the Aracha HaSholchan, major Ashkenazi posek of the late 19th or early 20th century, permits using electricity on Shabbos, on Yom Tov, rather, as well, and uh, the, uh, apparently the, it is said that uh, the Rav Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik had a family tradition to use electricity on uh, on Yom Tov as well, turn on and off lights. So um, so this is, this again is invoking a halachic consideration, the permission of electricity. Um, we'll talk about what what the basis of the prohibition of electricity would be in a moment. Just take a look uh, first at again the Igud, the uh, the organization of of uh, Moroccan rabbis, push back on on Rav Amar's Approach. They talked a little bit about the details, but mostly uh, they were also uh, upset about, uh, about being called reform rabbis without getting into all, you know, the Israel, uh, Israeli uh, discourse that often is a major insult uh, to Orthodox rabbis, which is you know, a whole other discussion in itself. We don't need to get into the details of that uh, right now, but they mainly responded on that and said that, of course, there's a basis for our position. Uh, and that's, that largely is the controversy in Israel. So in order to understand what's going on here, What's the what's the dispute about? Some broader policy issues. So it, it's important to to take a step back and talk about what the prohibition of electricity is based on. Um, in let's say on Shabbos, when when everyone agrees that there's a prohibition against electricity. So um, as as you might be able to guess, the Torah doesn't Torah doesn't spell out really many of the of the melachot of the prohibited activities on Yom Toh, on Shabbos at all. But it certainly doesn't talk about electricity. Of course, electricity is a modern a modern thing. And when electricity became uh, you know, started being used broadly. There was a whole question as to what, you know, what exactly its nature is, and what and whether it should be permitted or prohibited on Shabbos and Yom Tov. What, how to understand it? Essentially, there's four different positions about uh, about electricity. Uh, one is that electricity is a form of ash; it's a form of fire, um, because you know there's uh, electricity is you know a spark is like fire. Fire has sparks; electricity has sparks. There's a fire in the wire, and uh, therefore it's prohibited for use on Shabbos. Um, well, we'll come back to that view in a second. A second view is that it's electricity is about building circuits. You close, you turn on and off a light, you're closing, you're building a circuit. And that's bonet, that's building, that's the prohibition of building. Um, that's the Chazon Isha's position. A third view, which uh, came into vogue in the uh, late 20th century and is probably the mainstream view across the board, um, is Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach, who, who says that he doesn't think it's biblically prohibited, he doesn't think it's a daraisa. It's, it's a derabanan, maybe it's a strong minhag, uh, related possibly to molid, creating something new. Electricity is created, clearly creating something new. The lights are off; you turn the lights on, um, or whatever else you're doing uh, with with the electricity, and that's that's the reason why electricity is prohibited on on Shabbos. And then the fourth view, a very recent view by Rav Usher Weiss, uh, who's a uh, in uh, in Israel today, is that maybe it's makibeh patish. It's the prohibition against completing activities. One of the thirty-nine is sort of hard to define, and he thinks that it applies. Uh, that the prohibition against electricity is ma'afi with potash. What's going on here, the reason why you would say it's permitted on Yom Tov is if you take the position that it's, it's fire, it's ash. Because fire, despite being biblically prohibited on Shabbos, is actually permitted for use on Yom Tov. Because of the idea of Ochel nefesh, you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, you're allowed to prepare food, you're, you're allowed to carry too, you're, so you're allowed to use fire, fire is permitted. And if electricity is simply fire, you're allowed to use fire, and therefore electricity for personal benefit. And that's the view of these Moroccan rabbis and many uh, Sephardic Poskim in earlier times. It's also the view of the Archa Shulchan and, and others. Um, what happened is, uh, at some point, maybe, I think apparently this happened in the 70s, in Israel, um, and there was, there was a, a push to have a united front. And this is what people are referring to, a united rabbinic front is, is something like this, that if you have, let's say you had all the Sephardim in Israel using electricity on Yom and all the Ashkenazim not using electricity. That it's a very unusual situation. And it doesn't, you know, it sort of, it probably feels weird to some people. It probably leads people to uh, reject their, their practice. Uh, a muscle for this, a parallel, is uh, Kidneyos in Israel today. There's a trend, a distinct trend of Ashkenazim giving up uh, the, the, the practice of Kidneyos. Why? Because their uh, Sephardic friends are all using it. It can't be that bad. And then they start using it. So if you want to maintain the Ashkenazi tradition, it's, uh, it's very difficult to do that if the Sephardic tradition is the exact opposite. So there was apparently, and some people are, are unhappy about this, um, and, and this may be part of the story here, there was a lot of pressure put on Sephardic Poskim to discourage the use of electricity on Yom Tov. Because, uh, you know, what's, let's have a united front, let's have a situation where everyone keeps the same, the same, uh, the same halakhot, and that was, that was the push. And now, in a moment of crisis, in an emergency, some of these moroccan postkem say you know what we should probably at least for this year we should roll that back it's so necessary this year to use zoom to use electricity anyotov that we will uh we will reneg we'll pull back from that uh, from, from that, uh, move to prohibit electricity but it's it's not it's not us are to use electricity right the, the the even the people right the people who retracted the moroccan postkem who retracted don't say it's prohibited in itself they say it's prohibited for policy reasons because it might lead to the wrong thing, it might mislead people, it wouldn't present the united front. So that's a lot of what's going on among the Israeli post and no one, and even people who say there are halakhic issues, no one is saying this is clearly prohibited according to everyone because they know that if you look at the Moroccan post they say electricity is permitted. There's no, there's no prohibition against electricity uh, it, according to those views on Yom Tov. So that's not the route that the discussion goes down. Instead, the discussion is about broader issues, policy and slippery slopes. One one suggestion uh, made by Rav Yosef Zvi-Rimon, who's an uh, important uh, and uh, you know for for a posek on the younger side an important uh, uh, decisor of halacha in Israel today, he wrote a piece about Zoom for the Seder night. Sounds very sounds controversial, but what he uh, when you actually look at what he's saying, it, it's his attempt to have have the uh, cake of having your Seder with your grandparents uh, and eating it too. What he suggests is he, he says, he starts off by saying, you know, the people who suggest having Zoom at the Seder itself, on Yom Tov, he says, "Prat He says, it raises some halachic issues. Again, he doesn't go into it. What he goes into is, There's a major practical problem in having a Zoom Seder. He says, because, you know, uh, there's going to be some issue with your internet or your Zoom or the screen will time out. You'll need to fix it, but you can't fix it on Yom Tov. Certainly, if you're Ashkenazi, you can't fix it on Yom Tov. And then you're gonna either get upset or you'll fix it anyway. It's just a, it's a it's a no-win situation. It's a it's not gonna work for practical reasons. And th- therefore he has an alternative suggestion that's still sort of like having Zoom the Seder night, but slightly different. So he says, Hatzaama Sid l'chol v'atei every house in Israel. If you're not with your extended family, here's what you should do. Davin Mincha early and an hour or two before Yom starts, dress up in your Yom clothes and have a Zoom with the whole family and sing all the songs from the Seder. You're not gonna do Magid. You're not gonna, you're not gonna eat matzah and do the whole, the whole, all the, all the uh, mitzvos of the night, but you'll sing the songs. You'll have the experience of Seder night uh, together with your family over Zoom before Yom Tov. And he, he preempts the question of, well, isn't that unusual? You're, it's like baltos if you're adding a day to Pesach. It's not Pesach yet, And his answer is, based on a fascinating teaching of Yol Ben Nun, actually, if you look into the the idea of Pesach in the Torah, there's really two different holidays that are sort of spliced together. There's the holiday of Chag HaPesach, which really starts on the 14th, the day that you slaughter the Karban Pesach. So according to uh, one of my teachers, he says it starts on noon, on the 14th of of Erev Pesach, and it ends at midnight that night. It's a 12-hour Chag, Chag HaPesach. Then there's Chag HaMatzot, there's, uh, there's the holiday of, of matzah, which lasts for seven days, starting that night. So there's the, the idea, the, the overall, and, and there's, these are mixed together. We call them Pesach together, but really, it's, it's uh, the 14th, which is Chag Pesach, and then the next seven days, which are Chag HaMatzot. So your celebration, the afternoon of the 14th, before Pesach starts, is actually, uh, is actually, um, is, is actually part of Pesach itself. It's Chag Pesach, so you start a bit early, and that's fine. And uh, he says you should sing seder songs and gadja uh, and all of that. And he says hasabim yem It's a good, it's a good start. It's a good pregame, so to speak, for your seder. You'll do the the mitzvahs. You'll eat the matzah later. But for now, you have the experience. So I think in terms of the Israeli challenge, what 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 was framed primarily in the Moroccan tshuva, which is elderly elderly uh, grandparents who can't be with their extended family and that separation and wanting to have the, the experience together, Rav Ramon's solution seems to really solve that completely. Okay, it's not exactly at the night of the Seder, it's a few hours earlier, but okay, you still have your experience. And then a day later, you can call, you can call the grandparents as soon as Yom Tov is over and uh, talk about the Seder. It seems to really solve, solve that problem. We'll see in a minute, of course, the, in, in America, the, the, pr- the problem that's focused on is a different one. And we'll see it will need to be solved in different ways. Before we get to that, one uh, fascinating uh, position of Rabbi Yitzhak Zilverstein, who's a major uh, possek in the Haredi world, and he's the son-in-law of Rukhoyim Kanievsky, uh, you know, one of the main gadol, if not the main gadol, in the Haredi community in Israel today. He says he was asked by his father-in-law to respond and uh, to, to this idea of a Zoom seder Uh, you know, on the actual Seder night, and he says, he quotes Rav Moshe Feinstein, Igros Moshe, What about timers? Using a timer to heat up the food, Shabbos morning. You have a blech, use a timer for your blech. Rav Moshe Feinstein says it's prohibited to use a timer for your blech, or a timer for your air conditioning, or a timer for your lights on Shabbos, because This is a great denigration of Shabbos. How how is it Shabbos if you have things automatically turning on? Okay, you said it before Shabbos. It's still having electricity be used, having that happen in your house, is against the experience of Shabbos. It goes on and says, this is the same same thing, having Zoom, even if you start it before Yom Tov, having Zoom run on Yom Tov is a zilzol, it's a denigration of Yom Tov, and it leads to more prohibitions, it's a terrible thing, and it shouldn't be allowed. Now, what's so fascinating about this Chuba, and, and many of you are probably thinking this, um, well, if I, if I had, let's do a vote. I can't even see, every, I'll, I'll switch to, uh, no, can I do that? Let's see, stop share for a second, let's see. Let's have a vote for those of you who are here. Um, who, uh, who, uh, who, who, who generally refrains from using timers on Shabbos because it's prohibited, right? And who, or they, or people in their household use timers on Shabbos for, right. So basically, across the board, just about, I can't say everyone, but you know, probably the overwhelming majority of observant Jews in America today use timers on uh, on Shabbos for their devices. And um, Rav Moshe Feinstein's Psach, although it was accepted by some early on, is today basically not accepted at all in America. I assume Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein's community still accepts it does, and they don't use it. They probably don't use electricity at all because it's on the grid and that's a whole other discussion. But what's, what's going on here, the, the story that happened with Rav Moshe Feinstein's chuva was at the time, electricity was something new. Having electricity in your house was this totally anti-Shabbos thing and you couldn't have even a timer. And within a couple of decades, people were used to things running on timers you know, whether that's your, your, your air conditioning sort of turning on on a cycle or other things. And it just became a lot more normal. It didn't feel anti-Shabbos. It didn't feel like Zilzel Shabbos to have, have uh, things run on a timer. And once that was the case, um, once, once it was no longer against the spirit of Shabbos, people the post-gim shifted, and they said, now there's no more problem. Zilzal Shabbos, feel free to use timers on Shabbos. The question, if I, would, if I could ask Rav Zilderstein a question, um, I would say, well, aren't you concerned or what do you think about a scenario where 10, 20 years from now, there are so many more things that are automated, video screens that are automated, like a lot of shuls now have, have, a, video, you know, have a video that's automated. It says, you know, Mincha is at this time. I remember the first time I saw that and I'm not that old, whatever it was, 15 years ago, I saw that in a shul and I'm like, what's going on here? Why is there electricity on Shabbos? Then I thought about it and said, wait a second, it's turned on before, it's automatic. There's nothing prohibited about it. So maybe it doesn't feel so anti-Shabbos. Right. And that I think we all went through those of us who go to schools that have that had that, you know, that was a shift. And now you now it doesn't feel so weird anymore. Um, so I would ask for Silverstein, what happens 20 years from now when, you know, automatic videos are just happening all the time and, and somehow our feeling is different. Would you then say that it's permitted to have a, a Zoom stay there? I would guess he would say no, although I don't know for sure. I asked someone who was uh, who was you know, promoting his response and he said, we'll worry about this year now, we'll worry about uh, 20 years from now later, which you know is a certain way of approaching halacha. Do you sort of deal with the issues in a local way and you worry about the consequences later? You need, you need to think about that a little bit, but your primary responsibility is for now. So a fascinating response here by Richard Zilberstein, he invokes a halacha consideration of Zilzel Shabbos, but it's one that is flexible. Because the big, And the biggest proof that it's flexible is the very source he quotes that Ravosha Feinstein, which has shifted from you know, from being followed broadly when it was issued originally to basically not being followed at all in America today. Now we shift from Israel to America and the challenge in Israel, in in America, the question, the primary question in America is a very different one than Israel. In Israel, it was primarily about having multi-generational families get together. Maybe that reflects the fact that Israel, the culture in Israel is a, you know, is a very family-oriented culture, a very unified uh, sort, of, uh, sort of culture. In America, the main question that's been raised uh, and we'll see, we see that in the Chubos, we see that in discourse even on, on Facebook and, and just at, across the board, the main question is uh, is, is less about uh, families, although that comes up a little bit too, the main question is about people with mental health challenges. And, uh, you know, there's a variety of situations that, uh, there, there's a variety of scenarios where, where one's health is, is, uh, is put at risk by being alone, um, especially in America, remember that it's a three-day tov. So if you, let's say you live alone and you're not going out because of coronavirus and it's a three-day tov, so you're not in touch with anyone uh, over, over, uh, you know, over the computer either. So you essentially would have no human contact for three days. That for many people, for some people, it's just you know, sort of sad or slow or a downer. For some people that can lead to real uh, mental health challenges. So, uh, so that's, that's the question that's being addressed here, uh, primarily, or in America, I would say, primarily. This chuva by Re- Reversal Schechter of Wayu um, deals with both issues. We'll start with the second half, where he, he talks about, um, uh, well, sorry, the first half talks about uh, people who, who, uh, who are, have health, uh, mental health issues. We'll get back to that in a second. First, let's see how he treats the Israeli issue uh, at the bottom of the page here that, that, I, that I'm highlighting. So, um, so he says, um, yeah, he says, people, if you're not sick, if, uh, thank God, you're not sick, you're alone for Yom Tov, it's painful, if there's no risk to your health, we can't permit the violation of, of, of Shabbos or Yom Tov. And he talks about a situation, um, where this is a, the third scenario I mentioned. What about uh, you have, you know, a Baal tshuba, someone who doesn't have, have a history of making seders, wants help making the seder. He says, You leave your phone on, or you, leave a, you start a phone call and leave it open. You just leave it there on speakerphone and you do your seder and you say, you know, you know the people on the other line will just follow what you're doing. Um, so he says, This is a little surprising. He says, in a, in a situation of real need, and he goes on to specify, the person on the other end, you know, for some reason, has no access to, uh, you know, to videos to learn how to do a Seder. They can't figure it out. Um, the only way they can do a Seder is if you help them through a phone call. So he says, Moshe Feinstein So he says, as Rav Moshe Feinstein said, now this is a major leniency by Rav Moshe Feinstein, it's not clear what the prohibition is to talk into a phone that's already been, you know, you already picked it up before, you made the call before Yom Tov, or, and now you want to talk into the phone on Yom Tov. It's not clear what the prohibition is. You're not opening a new circuit. The only difference is the frequency of the, uh, uh, of the wavelengths, of the sound changes. It's not clear what the prohibition is. So therefore, he obviously wouldn't say to do that in a normal situation, but in a situation where there's a great, a, uh, some great need, like helping this person make their seder, if they have no other way to do that, then uh, then it might be permitted. He, again, he says you should You should try not to do that, but he says there's a difference between phones and Zoom. Leaving your internet on, which I assume means Zoom, so others see you. We have a new issue that uh, that's introduced here by Rav and I believe he's basing himself on an opinion of of the Rabb. Um, a, new, a new category here. It's not a question of electricity, that he said it's not, not a clear issue, uh, or at least uh, if it's on beforehand, it's not a clear issue. Not, not, not a question of, of, of not a, of it being like uh, like a weekday, not an issue of slippery slope um, or practical issues. This is an issue of RoShame uh, uh, or kotev or, or that if you have a Zoom call like we're doing right now, so my face is here, yet you're seeing it there on your screens, the fact that I'm projecting my, uh, you know, whatever is in the background here to you, that's considered writing. So any movements I make, and with the intent that you'll see what I'm doing, you see that I'm, you know, picking up this paper. I'm essentially writing on your computer screen. Now, if I was just looking at my own computer screen, he uh, spells this out. We're not going to read it. If I was just looking at my own computer screen, that's not really that's not too meaningful. That's like looking at your reflection in the mirror. But if I'm doing something to make an impact on your screen far away, that counts as uh, that actually counts as as writing. And he says it's not since you're not saving the image, it's not automatically saved, although maybe if you're recording it, it is. But in the normal case, you're not you're not saving the image. So it's not biblically prohibited, it's still rabbinically prohibited. I'll call panim Asur. So therefore, when you do your your call to help the person make the Seder, you should do it not on uh, not on Zoom, but over phone by the phone. Uh, maybe he would also allow doing it over Zoom with just the sound function without, you know, with the screen turned off. That's what it sounds like from here. Um, so uh, yeah, so, so therefore he opposes using a video, but it's okay with using a phone in, in certain scenarios if it's really a great need. So that's very interesting. He doesn't actually spell out what he would say about a case where you have someone um, where they're not, they're not quite, uh, you know, there's no, there's no major mental health risk, but they're sort of uh, it's uncomfortable they're, they're, you know, they're maybe uh, having a, uh, have a very bad experience. On Yomtov, if you don't call them on the phone, he doesn't say what he would say in that scenario. One could construct an argument that it would be permitted based on this here, but uh, he doesn't go there. So maybe, maybe he, he would, he would uh, disagree with that extension. Um, was there a hand? Did I see someone raise their hand? Are there a couple questions? We can have a short break for questions now, and then we'll shift uh, from Israel, the Israeli question to the American question uh, and focus on mental health and then some broader uh, considerations
2: yeah the raised hand was uh was me. Um, even by that you know taking that at its face, uh, there's a lot to unpack from uh, from the past couple of minutes uh, but in that chuva itself, wouldn't it be be because to to call someone because then there's i mean there are changes on the screens of the phones nowadays. I mean we all have most of us have uh, you know smartphones that are going to show up. Oh, it's, you know, this caller, it's uh, this person, you know, some of them show uh, you know, the 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 you know the, the octave levels and stuff like that. Like there there's all sorts of things that happen on on a phone when you call someone. So, right.
0: so yeah, so I, I'd say, I mean, it's not fully clear. You don't have the full details here. As far as I can understand, there's a couple of, of things. So it, it needs to be something that you intend. If it's something that happens sort of accidentally. You know how loud it is, and you have the decibels. That you know, if you don't really care about that, presumably that would that would fall by the wayside. The same, you know. Again, I'm not sure about this. This is my extrapolation. Um, uh, the the same way that uh, the same way that like having it be slightly louder on a phone call affects the electricity in some ways, and you just don't care. And you know, you don't. You don't. Now I understand the electricity uh, going up or down, or the, the wattage changing. Um, but yeah, maybe something like the very, maybe calling on a smartphone would be a problem. I don't know if, if you're calling with the goal of having him see your, your name come up, maybe that is, although maybe you, you could argue it's not direct enough because you know, you're not dictating exactly what it would do. You're sending a message and the phone itself is choosing to respond depending on its setting. So I'm not sure, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah. I saw a couple other okay. hands were raised. I think, I think in the interest of getting to the rest of the share, why don't we move forward now and have the questions at the end? Um, I know it's it's uh, it's it's always tough. There's so much to, to think about. I, yeah, I have like a lot of questions myself as I'm talking because it's such a fascinating, rich and new discussion. But let's let's hold it off for the end. Um, the first half of Rav Schechter's Tshuva. Oh, and one just last one sort of interesting note when he quotes the Rav Moshe that he says it's not clear why it's prohibited to talk into a phone that appears in the Hebrew text, but not in the English translation that's uh, below. Um, So it doesn't appear in the English translation, presumably because the thought that that could be taken, that could be used to the wrong ends. People might misapply that. So it's, uh, you know, if you can understand rabbinic Hebrew and and that discussion, then you should, you can consider that. If not, you're probably better off not knowing. That presumably is the intention uh, of of the people who wrote and translated these letters. Um, In terms of the American issue is primarily about uh, mental health and, and other danger. There's really three different dangers if one does not allow it does not allow a Zoom call. Um, three different types. Number one is uh, is physical health in the form of potential self-harm for people who are in a situation where extended period of time alone could lead to self-harm. A second scenario is people who will choose not to stay alone and instead will, because of the, the you know their concern that they'll have a hard, a difficult time in terms of their mental health, they'll instead go to family. And uh, while, while generally that's a good thing, in this case, um, th- there's a certain risk attached to it, given that, that everyone, you know, is trying to is- self-isolate with their household to minimize the spread of coronavirus. And there's a third risk, um, not, not uh, you know, n- which would be to one's mental health itself, meaning even, uh, you know, leaving aside issues of self-harm um, and pikuach nefesh in the usual sense, there's a chance that one's mental health could really deteriorate and, and put them in a much worse situation. Rav Shechter here in the first half of the but we're not gonna read it inside, um, is, is fairly lenient in terms of this. He says, you know, usually there's a question of how to define uh, pikuach nefesh. Pikuach nefesh, saving a life, trumps, overrides all of the prohibitions in the Torah with the exception of the big three, um, murder, sexual uh, prohibitions, and idolatry. It overrides Shabbos. Um, and uh, Rav Schechter is, is, you know, fairly lenient in, in a variety of different directions. He says, and some of this is based on, you know, explicit sources, Shulchan Aruch, Some of this is, is less obvious. Um, the Shulchan Aruch says if you're if you have a doubt as to whether there's a risk to someone's life, then you violate Shabbos, right? Safik nefesh is lachomer. Even a safik seika, even if you're not sure if if there's something and you're you're not sure for a couple of different reasons, it's really, you know, it's not it's not like a major risk. It's a small risk to someone's life. You violate Shabbos for that. So that's point number one. Point number two is um, that if there's a chance that you will quote-unquote, uh, go crazy, or go enter shiga'on, um, you know, lose, lose your mental health in a significant way. He quotes uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik, you, no, you have no worry that you will end up dying as a result of a shiga on. Uh, the shiga'on, uh, still, the, the very prevention of having a major mental health crisis, of having you, quote-unquote, lose your mind, you're, permit, you're permitted to, to violate Shabbos for that. So in these different ways, and then he also talks about if you have a sick relative in Israel, let's say, and you want to call them to check in on them, uh, and you think that'll strengthen them and help their, their physical health, that's uh, on the second day of Yom Tov, let's say, to call Israel, he says that's also permitted. So in a few different ways, he's, he's fairly lenient on this question of pikuach nefesh, which is, is significant for a couple of reasons. I don't think the psaq that Rosh gave now is any different than what he would have given one year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. What's different though, is the, the fact that it's being said and the way in which it's being said. Even as recently as March 22nd, uh, Rav essentially said the exact same thing that he published a few days later. But if you, if you look, um, he said as well, this should not be publicized to the rabbin. This shouldn't be publicized to the general public, this permission. And then a week later, he publicized it. So there was a shift, not in terms of the PSOC itself, but in terms of how to publicize this decision, because, as you know, as this is becoming a more dangerous situation for more people, it's a more challenging time. Um, the usual worry about the slippery slope and, and the the, uh, the psaac being uh, being used incorrectly is is uh, overridden by a worry that not enough people will use the pesach. That people will you know say, well, you know, I don't need to call a friend uh, on on yom tov and end up actually uh, you know uh, harming themselves or entering a situation of danger. So there is. It seems like there has been a shift in terms of how much to talk about these issues uh, uh, publicly versus to have it be, talk to your rabbi, this will be a private psak, what they call a retail rather than wholesale psak that, uh, that stays more more private. Furthermore, Rabbi Yoni Rosenzweig who's working on a book on mental health and halacha, he's a rabbi in Israel um, the other day, or yesterday I think it was, had a Facebook post where he goes into great detail about, about different scenarios. If you look in the letters here, you know A through F, um, we 're not going to read through it straight, but it goes into very specific scenarios of how you know if you have a history of psychosis, if you have a history of, of a or uh, you know x, y, or Z, and if the risk factor is this if it 's that what what the standard is w- at what point one, one should just call someone and he also says at the end, I think this is very powerful um, if you don't know, if you don 't know anyone who will take your call i 'll gladly give you my number i 'll answer you day and night right so I think we 're seeing not just from or Schechter and Rav Yoni Rosenzweig, for many post many halakhic authorities, uh, real sensitivity and openness to supporting people with mental health challenges as it's so difficult uh, right now. So just to summarize Rav Schechter's view, on the one hand, he introduces a new factor in which he's stringent, which is Roshem, Zoom, zoom uh, using Zoom in a case where there's no risk to life, that it uh, creating the images is prohibited, which wasn't even addressed in, by the Israeli decisors. He's also uh, very lenient on the Pikuach Nefesh, on any scenario that might uh, involve a risk to someone's uh, uh, well-being, someone's life or, or even mental health. Um, there isn't, no one really disagrees on, on that point. So that, that's not, no, you know, in terms of Recepter's Psak and Rioni you know, Rosenzweig's Psak there may be some differences on very minute details, but the overall, there's no real controversy there. I think the main issue, as I said, was whether to, whether to publicize it and how to publicize it. But one thing we do find, if we look at other people have pub- published on this issue very recently, um, I'll say uh, one from you know, the more ale- left-wing side of modern orthodoxy and one from the halachic egal community, we find a couple of other interesting uh, phenomena and shifts. Um, and not necessarily in a practical sense, but in the way of conceptualizing the idea of doing Zuma Nyomdav. So one, Rabbi Susker Katz, who essentially follows Rav Shechter, uh, you know, in terms of what's permitted and when. You know, pikuach nefesh, there's risk to life, it's permitted. But he adds some very interesting, he goes into a certain um, amount of detail, not about in what cases it's permitted, like uh, Rioni Rosenzweig, I mean, uh, uh, I'm mean, i sure he could do that too, but he goes into detail as to how to do it. If you wanted to do a Zoom, to call someone over Zoom on Yomto for, for the sake of your mental health, how would you do it? And what's interesting is, uh, is how, at least in theory, how his, his theoretical understanding of what, what Zoom constitutes, how stringent he is. He says, activating a new Zoom session may be a biblical prohibition. Now, no one we've seen until now, we saw a lot of people who said, do Zoom, don't do Zoom. No one said Zoom is biblically prohibited in a normal situation where no one's life is at risk. Rabbi Katz jumps in and says, activating a Zoom session may be biblically prohibited. That's why, you know, uh, that's why it has all sorts of implications um, in terms of how to use it. If you're gonna use it, preferably if you have a chance, um, try to use it with a shinu, you do it indirectly, um, uh, try to make sure it's turned on beforehand so you minimize the malacha. Um, you know, try to uh, try to keep the computer active straight, straight on. So th- he goes into all these details of, of ways of minimizing the, um, you know, the malacha, the that the, that one's doing. And he's do- he says that because he holds, he, he comes out and says that he thinks doing a Zoom session is actually biblically prohibited. Now, th- as I said, this is really striking. All the people who in Israel who said don't do Zoom, they could have said using Zoom is biblically prohibited, don't do it, right? They could have said uh, Zoom is rosham like like Rav said. They were actually they were stringent in practice, but not for halachic reasons, for meta halachic reasons. Here in America, Rav Shachter, in terms of Roshem, and now Rabbi Katz, in terms of Zoom overall, says it's biblically uh, says they invoke halachic consideration, saying Zoom is biblically uh, prohibited. Um, yeah. So and and then uh, I think this sort of explains where Rabbi Katz is coming from. He says uh, using Zoom to broadcast the seder, if one doesn't have any mental health issues. It's not, a biblical pro- it's not just a biblical prohibition or a rabbinic one, it's worse, because it undermines the core essence of Shabbat and Chag. Shabbos and holidays, are, Yom Tov, are times when there's no, no electricity, no Zoom. Having Zoom co- uh, communicating remotely over Shabbos and Yom Tov is the sort of thing that undermines the nature of the day. And I think what's behind this idea, and I think if you follow right Katz, uh, is thinking on these things, he, he said so explicitly, is that, He's really, he's really what you would call a, uh, a realist about technology. You know, right now, we're, we're all talking over a Zoom chat. You can say, you can conceptualize this both generally and logically in one of two ways. You can say, we're not talking right now. You know, I'm in a room by myself. There's like particles in the computer screen projecting onto the background here. And there's some communication with other particles that project into a background on each of your screens. We're not actually talking. This is all this... It's all, it's all fake. It's, it, you know, we're not actually talking to each other. It feels like we're talking to each other, but it doesn't really matter. That's, that's what you might call, um, you know, like a sort of a technical way of understanding it. A, a, realist or a realist way of understanding what's going on is, no, the real experience that we're having is one of communicating. I guess I'm talking too much, and, and I'm not giving you a chance to talk. We'll change that in a minute or two. So a realist view uh, is that we're, we are communicating. And I think part of the difference here between the right cats and the other view, the right cats is very committed to a realist, view of, of technology, that using Zoom to speak over, you know, it's, oh, it's just electricity, electricity is, is you know, probably, there abundant, if it's the rice, it's, it's Asia, it's probably, that's that's not the way he's thinking about it, he's not making it into a technical thing, you're, it's a form of, of writing, you're, I'm writing on your screen, and you know, sort of similar to Rav Schechter's view of Roshan, but taken a step further to be the rice, uh, to be a biblical prohibition. Similarly, um, a recent uh, uh, publication uh, coming out of Hadar, uh, source, uh, source number 12 here, um, there's a, uh, uh, there's, uh, they, they, they end up in somewhat similar view to other positions, but they point to a few things that are very surprising. Uh, other potentially, they talk about electricity itself and the various questions about electricity, and we talked about that a little bit, um, and when it's permitted to use electricity and when it's not. But then they, they talk about other potentially forbidden activities involved in using Zoom, and one of them is writing, Roshane. Uh, and they give a few more examples, similar to what Schefter said, but they talk about tchum. This is a very novel application. I don't know if anyone's ever suggested this before, that tchum, you're not supposed to travel outside of your area on Shabbos. Since nowadays we live in cities, mostly, your area is basically your city, so this doesn't really come up too much. Um, but if you, what about Zoom? You're talking right now, we're talking across great distances. There are people on the West Coast. Isn't that going out of the Tchum? If you have a Zoom session with your family in Israel or wherever else, or even you know, New York to Boston, isn't that going outside of the Tchum? And they say, um, you know, this is more metaphorical. It's not literally outside. It's, this is admittedly a, more of a metaphoric concern. You're not actually walking to them, but part of Shabbat Yolta is about remaining local. I think part of what might be in the back in the backdrop is, is the uh, conservative tshuva about driving on Shabbos, but we won't get into that now. They also talk about Ashmas, coal making noise, you're not supposed to make loud noises on Shabbos. In general, people are very lenient. Some people say, well, you know, you shouldn't leave your, dish, uh, your, uh, your washing machine running because it makes noise. So, but some, something like a conversation, like what I'm doing right now, I don't know of any post who would say, this is Hashmas call. But again, here there's jumping in and saying, it's Hashmas call. Why, why are there these, these views here? I think again, it's a realist view. It's saying that we're talking over, you know, we're talking, it's not just about me and a screen and electricity. There are other issues too. If you think about technology not as just you know some some technical thing is it electricity or not it's about an interaction we're interacting across distances is that a problem of tchum we're making I'm making noise in your house right now is that an issue of Ashmas call? and I think it's just a different way of thinking about about technology they actually have a leniency as well they they seem to open up the possibility of using doing a Zoom seder for the second night second night of Yom Toh, when in general no one else uh, we've seen has ing- suggested this uh, in practice but in theory the second day of yom tov is a lower level of severity it's only it's only a uh, durabanan uh, or maybe minhug a minhag of a long discussion about what that means the gran Beitsa. but it's a, it's a lower level prohibition than the first day of yom tov but there's a long standing practice of not distinguishing between the way we treat the first and second day of yom tov and yet here uh, the 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 you know, this article came out of the Hadar, Halachi egalitarian world is suggesting that maybe if, you know, they don't like it, but they're sort of okay with it, if being alone for a long time, won't lead to any sort of risk, but will be very difficult, will be very hard, maybe there's room to allow for a Zoom seder on the second day of Tov, because it's only Zoom, not the most severe prohibition, and it's only the second day of Tov. if you put those together, you allow it. I have heard reports that an Orthodox uh, shul rabbi uh, suggested allowing a similar thing, although he hasn't gone on record and I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, out him. Um, but my sense is this isn't just coming out of the Hadar world. There are some people in the Orthodox world who are willing to go down this route. What does all this mean? So where, where does this leave us? There was a lot, a, lot of, a lot of material here, a lot of information. So I think we can, we can sort of summarize the issues here as follows. Well, a lot of the issues relating to Zoom. So we saw these came up, several of these came up in the original PSAK. The question of electricity is a major issue here. What your tradition is about electricity, uh, if you're, if you're you know, Moroccan or not, makes a big difference. What do you think about Uvdin de Chol, not in the spirit of Yom Tov? Some people are more stringent about that, some are less. What about slippery slopes, uh, the worry that this will lead to violating Yom Tov of other times, or maybe even violating Shabbos? What about what are we, uh, practical issues? Will it be uncomfortable for people? Will it not work out um, to, to, have, to have the Zoom run? And Roshem, the idea of writing, which we saw where Schechter introduced uh, as an additional provision. There's all these halakhic issues, and I guess there are more that the Hadar uh, article introduced, although I think those are, are uh, far enough outside the mainstream that they're not, uh, I wouldn't put them on a summary. Um, so those are the halakhic issues. But as we said, the halakhic issues, and some of those are meta halachic they are uh, you know, they, going up against some of the values. There are values on the other side, the value of human life, both mental health and physical health in, in various ways, that, you know, if you have a real Picoch uh, nefesh situation, then everything is permitted. Using any sort of of, uh, electronics is permitted to save a life. What about family unity? That was primarily in the Sephardic Psock. They're concerned about having the family be together to support the grandparents, to support the religiosity of the children. So those are the two main factors. But then there's this other value, the integrity of the Yom Tov experience. Thinking about both this year, what makes Yom Tov meaningful and important this year, but also thinking about next year and every future year. What's Yom Tov and Shabbos going to look like in the future? That's... Another important value that comes up explicitly and implicitly in a lot of sources. And then finally, the value of present, presenting a united front among halakhists. And I think, you know, so these are the issues that come up in the various cases. I think the most fascinating thing here is, you know, we're very used to saying, well, there's a dispute here. It's, you know, it's the right wing against the left wing you know, the Haredim are Mahmir, the, the modern Orthodox are Mechil, or, you know, the Zionists say Hallel, the non-Zionists don't say, you were used to all these categories, the, the sort of classic set of categories and, and disputes that exist. Here, I think the dividing lines totally break down. All the usual the usual questions, the usual dividing lines don't don't hold up. First of all, so what are the factors? Obviously, one factor is going to be your halachic pedigree. Are you Moroccan with the, with the tradition that electricity is mutter and Yomtov? Although not only Moroccans, right, because... The rav and the aruch but fine. That's one question. Also, what do you think about rosham? Do you think that um, that uh, you know having a Zoom call is rosham? There are different. There are various issues of that come up. But then we have this question about: Are you a realist or are you a formalist about electricity? Right? Or do you say or, uh, or do you say that it's about the experience of us talking? That's really something. That's a Raisa? Or do you say no? It's not. We're not worried about that. So uh, we pointed before to how. Um, you know, the, the machmir position here, the more stringent position, seeing this as a realist issue with more prohibition, saying it's derisa, is actually what, uh, you know, people are usually on the left. I don't love these, these uh, categories, but here to undermine them, I'm happy to invoke them, right? So Rabbi Sacher Katz is the one who says, who says that uh, it's derisa to use Zoom. Why? Because he thinks this is an actual real mode of communication. We're actually talking, and we're talking in a prohibited, uh, prohibited way on, uh, on Yom Tov, unless there is someone's life at risk. What's funny is, is uh, and I didn't, I didn't, we didn't look at this inside, the Hadar Shuva also says, what about being yotze different mitzvos of the Seder? Let's say you make, your, you make your bracha at the end of Magid, and I hear you and say amen. Can I be yotze? Can I fulfill my mitzvah of saying that bracha of Magid? And they, they're sort of open to it, and that's a similar question. That's where it's a leniency. If you're a realist about technology, we're actually talking. So when you say your bracha, when I say amen, I'm actually, we're actually talking to each other, that counts. What who very recently said a very similar thing, ironically, interestingly, Roshachter. Roshachter about reading the Megillah for those who are in uh, quarantine said you can listen to the Megillah on Purim over Zoom or or phone or whatever. And you know, if you have no other choice, that, that is you you can be yotzei. It sounds like he said, you can be Yotseh Vidyeved, you can fulfill the mitzvah of hearing the Megillah. So that's the same idea based on this realist view of technology. Whereas let's say all of the Israeli poskim. That I've seen do not take a realist view. They all say it's a technical issue. It's prohibited, but it's prohibited for technical reasons. So that's one case where you have, you know, uh, you, know you don't usually say that, um, you know, Rav Schechter is, uh, is on the same side as Rav Sacher Katz against all Israeli posts. And that's not a usual, uh, you know, alignment. Uh, that's, that's, that's a very interesting, an interesting one, and, and has to do with how you view electricity. And then secondly, a question of localist, what I call localist versus globalist when we think about this issue, how much are we thinking about what's right in front of us right now and how much are we thinking about broader concerns? So here, this breaks down in a whole bunch of different directions. How much are we worried about next year or 20 years from now? So in that, in that way, those who are machmir, those who are stringent say, well, we're really worried about a slippery slope next year, the Sephardic, the, the Moroccan post can say, we're worried about right now, we're not so worried about go leading to future things, just say it's only for now and you're fine. Uh, the, the person who oddly enough agrees with them, apparently, or I think you know, at least can be seen as agreeing, um, is, is the view that, that invokes Rav Moshe Feinstein as, uh, as, the, as the, the reason not to do a, a Seder. You can't, you know, to say that it's Uvdin dechol. it's Zilzol Yom Tov, it's a, it's a degradation of Yom Tov. To use Zoom, you're at least risking the possibility that just like Rav Moshe Feinstein's view about timers, 20 years from now, people will, won't find Zoom to be a Zilzol. So that's a, that's a localist view I'm worried about right now, 20 years from now, we'll worry about that later. Whereas most other postgames, I think people who are, who, who, the people who opposed the Sephardic Psaq, a lot of them, uh, the, the, uh, the Moroccan Psaq, a lot of them was based on a worry about future years. And it was also a, a based on another globalist worry. Are you worried not just about these, you know, the people who follow these Moroccan postgames, but how much are you worried about other, other uh, Jews who will, you know, look at their neighbor who's, who's Moroccan who uses, uh, who uses Zoom. Why shouldn't I use Zoom? You know, how much are we worried about that how much are we looking for unity, rabbinic unity, which was invoked by at least one of the positions of those who pulled out. So I think the dividing lines between these positions are a whole new set of categories, not the usual ones, and you know, being machmir and being mekel can stem from the same thing. If you're a realist, that can be a chumrah or a kula. If you hold that electricity on Yom Tov is fire, that could be a chumrah on Shabbos or a kula on Yom Tov. It's really a fascinating and mind-bending issue, partially uh, that's just the, the the case, but also because of the situation we find ourselves in, where everything's turned on its head. Uh, you know, human interaction we've said for so long is about getting off our devices, and now human interaction is all about getting on our devices. And what is Shabbos? What is Shabbos and Yom supposed to look like? Is it is it by definition being away from our electronic devices, or maybe we can use our, our electronic devices to come together? So I'm not going to present the PSOC. I think if uh, you know you, you read here, you can see what sort of mainstream and what's uh, you know, what's sort of the minority position and, and uh, that, that, that uh, should come out of the sources themselves, I hope. And um, I'm, I'm happy to take questions here. I'm much more interested right now in, in thinking about the broader implications and the conceptual issues. So with that, I'm done. Happy to take questions. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sorry, it's going a bit later than originally planned. But I think there's so much to talk about here that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to have the discussion.
1: Rabbi Zucker there were a bunch of questions in the in the chat box. Do you want to take a look at those?
0: Um, sure, let's do that. Let me exit the share. And oh, wow, there's a chat box. This is the danger of sharing the screen um, is that um, I'm focused on the text and okay. Um, um, let's see, I'll, I'll take a look. Why don't people start asking and I'll, I'll skim this while people are asking and uh, you can you call on people just because I don't. Uh, yeah, they're probably easier um, that way.
1: Sure, if you want to just raise your hand. I'll unmute you if you're having trouble. Um, Martin, are you, are you trying to, anybody? No? Okay. Uh, why can't I get this? <laughs> okay, I'm unmuting everyone here. <laughs> Hopefully we won't have too much feedback.
0: One, one question I'll just answer quickly. Why, if it's not being recorded, why is it writing? Because it's, it's temporarily writing. You're writing on the screen. Every time I move, I'm causing something to be written on your screen momentarily. Even if it's not recorded, it's still prohibited. uh, It's still prohibited rabbinically, according to Rav Schechter. Um, Speakerphone amplification presumably would not be an issue, Um, right? There are, of course, technical issues. Google Meet stays on forever. Zoom is 40 minutes, except in the more fancy editions, that's only 24 hours. There obviously are all sorts of technical differences you can make here. Um, People who are very ill, um, it depends on the exact question. Um, Of course, there are broader issues about uh, internet and the challenges that presents uh, in terms of giving too much control to the Zuckerbergs of the world, no relation. President Arana calling to
3: ask for money for Yontip? Sorry.
0: Yes. I am OK. I think if I've got for You can all mute your
3: What?
1: If you're not going to be speaking, please mute your, your buttons. If you want to speak, just raise your hand and or, um, or press yeah.
0: something on the, um, yeah, I will unmute you. The questions in the uh, chat. If you have another question still in the chat, feel free to ask it and we'll go through people now. Okay. Sorry, I just, I see a couple of people like
2: on, on the you know, camera trying to raise their hand. Up their up hand. Up There's actually like a button on zoom that you can use to uh, raise, to, to raise your hand. So yeah, I invited about 20. Okay. Thank I you.
4: Nice you. Um,
1: there's somebody in the background that I'm hearing their, uh, I think, a phone conversation. Um, so I'm not sure who that is. Um, if you want, let, maybe let's start. Um, Judy Tuckman. I apologize. I don't know uh, much. much. OK, I had the question.
4: Yeah, I, I wanted to point out that I, as I recall, it's many years ago, but as I recall, Ramesha said that I can't do anything about the lights being on on Shabbos because it's so popularized. It's so, uh, uh, you know, obviously he's not talking about an Issa Behetar issue. He's talking about that the Shabbos will become. No Shabbos if the dishwasher goes on and the oven goes on and everything is going on. But he points out that I can't stop the Shabbos clock putting on the lights because it's so prevalent now that there's nothing I can do about it. So I think I think it's important to make a distinction between the policy issue that uh, that he's talking about
0: and the uh, issue that he's talking what, about. What, according to her motion, there, it doesn't sound like there's an issue. What he says, the, the prohibition he invokes is or I mean, depends how you define your terms. He invokes Zilzel Shabbos. The whole issue is Absolutely Zilzel Shabbos. Right. So, that's my point. That's so, my right, point. exactly. And and then when Rav zilverstein quotes Rav Moshe, it's, yeah, he, he looks it, it, at it at runs the risk of going the same direction as the original Rav Moshe. So I, I think, yeah, I think that's exactly right.
1: Yeah. Josh, did you, have, you had a question?
2: Yeah, more, um, first of all, Yashukah Chazaka haz, Baruchah to Rav Zucker. Zakh- uh, I really appreciate this. Uh, so really sorry, but it's more of um, I kind of wanted to draw attention to to something. I, I think that uh, you know, while you know in your in your signpost uh, summary, I think you you nailed a lot of a, a lot of things, but I think you take uh, you were you were taking the statements of some of the uh, Rebam criticizing the initial, uh the initial tshuva from the Moroccan rabbis at face value and i think there's a lot of subtext there of you know a lot of israeli politics and i'm not going to get into it and i don't want to like you know that's not the focus of this discussion but i think that there's there's something to be said of there's there's some politics at play there uh related to mizrahi and and ashkenazi uh dynamics uh, especially within the haredi world uh you know, for example, the way in which uh, Rabbi Lau, he didn't say, oh, this is not halakhically justified. He specifically calls out and says the rabbis are unlearned, which is a very like common, uh, common refrain against the Mizrahi, uh, a lot of Mizrahi rabbis, especially from Morocco, who tended to take these more lenient views as, oh, they're unlearned. It's like, well, they're not necessarily unlearned, but you just disagree with them. But there's, Y- y- there's politics there, and, and for sure, and uh, 100 percent on
0: there. And I think the politics informs the halachic consensus. Meaning, the very question of the very assertion of we want rabbinic unity here is invoking the shift that happened 40, 50 years ago, where where Moroccan and other Sephardi poskim were asked to to you know to not allow electricity on Yom Tov in order to have unity, in order that Ashkenazim would keep their uh their practices disallowing electricity to stop the you know the temptation so to speak so yeah every time you talk about you talk about unity and i think you know i posted about this uh last week on facebook and some of my uh sephardic friends of a certain bent really took exception to that uh to that formulation of of unity because you know they see it as being forced by the ashkenazim to do what they want and of course this ties into as you're saying um in israeli society a, a long history of ashkenazim controlling uh, you know, all the decisions, etc. So yeah, I don't want to go into that too much. But it, it, it seems to be a factor in the sense that it's what stands behind the idea of rabbinic unity, you can have rabbinic unity in either direction, right? Uh, so going, yeah, the I, wasn't, I wasn't, to the wasn't other, saying like, that factor.
2: should be the focus, but like, I just wanted to to, to point it out and say, it's a broader it, it you know, it's a broader topic in this, uh, in this discussion that I think mm-hmm. just needs to be touched on, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks so much, Josh.
5: Shani, did you have a question? Yeah, thanks. So I just responded to what we were just saying there, that idea of unity, it's not only the um, hegemony of the Ashkenazim, which is, I do think it's important. It's there very much a part of the or why not? It's a policy that's affecting what's going on, but also just a pre-postmodern, right? It's a very modern view of what we want for identity as compared to today, thinking about pluralism and diversity. So I, that also plays in, these are all things that I think affect the halacha. In terms of what I wrote about, um, how the whole internet is monetized. It, it wasn't just my ethics. I know you know how I feel about that, but it really is a yom question, right? When we're doing this now, you're talking about what are we doing? Are we doing electricity? Are we making sounds? What we're doing is earning advertising money for Zoom. As far as Zoom is concerned, when they talk to their investors, my bottom line is not just my bottom line. My raison d'être is to get money that so we might like to not think about that, but that's what we're facilitating. So it's true, we don't have intention for that. Some of us have really intention not to do that, if possible, but it's going on. And it's a zilzil for me. Like, you know, when I've even considered, when I was lonely for other reasons, I was living in Germany and Shabbat was difficult for me. And like, one of the things is it's not Shabbistic or whatever, because it, it really isn't. This is like the essence of my whole life.
0: I'll just add, I think that's it's an important consideration. I'd say the halachic parallel um, in, in traditional literature is the question of reading the newspaper with advertisements, which, mm. you know, there's a long literature opposing that, and it doesn't seem like it's followed too much today. I mean, all you need to do is open up uh, Mishpacha or Ami magazine, and it's half advertisements, and, um, you know, they censor other things, but they don't censor the advertisements, even though everyone knows that everyone reads it on Shabbos and reads all the advertisements. So I think there's the, the, the move has been, uh, you call it... Uh, Call it uh, call it late capitalism or, or what you want, but uh, the move has been to uh, to be make ill on on ads and even especially in a case where uh, like Zoom where the ads aren't you know aren't directly affecting your experience they're not popping up in that sort of way so I think you know I don't think anyone's invoked this so it's an interesting new angle to consider uh, I'd say given the trend on on you know physical advertisements in newspapers the trend would be to be make ill but it doesn't mean it has to be. Right, maybe, maybe there's room to reclaim our uh, pre-advertising uh, innocence.
5: No, I don't want to go in that direction anyway. So the newspapers is a great, great, thank you. Thanks so
1: much, Shani. Um, Judah, you had a question?
3: Uh, yeah, so uh, I actually asked both questions uh, in the chat. Uh, they were the last uh, two. Uh, one was, is, is how does Zoom compare to the gramophone for doctors or ill people on Shabbos that uh, was created in Israel? Is there any differentiation with that? And how does using Zoom compare to using a microphone on Shabbos, is it the call problem or the electricity problem? So I think
0: like the, person, the person who addresses this uh, directly is Rav Schechter. Rav Schechter says that phones, a normal telephone, is not clear what the prohibition is. Obviously, it's not in the spirit of Shabbos, but a technical prohibition, uh, not clear what it would be. Um, so apparently, you know, it, assuming he's really relying on that, he's quoting Rav Moshe on that, it sounds like he mostly agrees. So the issue of, of you know, the, you know, the gramophones are sort of an extra an extra level of distancing. Um, so you might not have that extra level, but that's sort of a, a secondary factor. Um, and what was the other thing, gramophones? And what was the other? It
3: uh, was one right before. So that is... Microphones. Uh, yeah, microphones on Shabbos. What's, you know, how, does this, so a microphone how does is similar to a telephone. To a,
0: telephone. a microphone is, is, I mean, there's some dispute about the exact details, but essentially your sound, you put your sound into the microphone and then it either puts out a new sound or an ex- it somehow shifts the sound, just like in a telephone. I think that at least for Schechter, um sees them as the same. I think you see that in his in what he sent out about reading the Megillah. He indicates that he sees telephones and microphones essentially as the same. That's why he allows the telephone for uh, for, um, for the Megillah. So that's there, that's a, a kula. Here, uh, here, I guess it's also a cool, kula, but they're, they're, they're equivalent. Uh, they'd be equivalent in terms of that zoom has the problem of the visual element that's where he's machmir on zoom um because there's roshan you're, you're writing on the other screen but i think in terms of the sound he treats them as the same everywhere i've seen
3: is that why people refuse to be video like when I mean, there's a news event, they walk away when a reporter comes over to them with a the camera
0: yeah yeah so that's i think you know i said before i think this is based on the rough that if you pose for a picture that also counts as roshan because your your movements are affecting the the picture that's going to be developed, or the video that's going to be developed, or even if it's not developed, just the temporary video. So that's that view uh, holds that there's a prohibition, at least there a ban on of doing that. And yeah, and it would be the same thing, the same issue here.
1: Okay, Thank you. Ned, Ned, I think you had a question.
0: Yeah,
6: um, in regards to Bereshitcher's like differentiation, the difference, the difference between Bereshitcher's Hebrew psak and uh, the Psach that was translated um, in terms of. I guess the directing those who are knowledgeable in the halakhic system those who are capable of reading the Hu stock that they should uh that they have that sort of the uh he basically allows for the use of the uh the telephone in the case of uh the um my question is sort of uh many find themselves in a situation which i suppose one of the parties is more halakhically knowledgeable than the uh than like let's say the, uh, the those who are trying to communicate with so sort of how should that i guess the the, the concern is sort of if you have you might end up ma- causing more problems on on that, on their on the side that are less healthally eligible so just wondering exactly how to approach that issue
0: yeah it's a good question and um you know, this is uh, this ties into the question I was saying before of, of retail versus wholesale. Meaning certain psakim and the Qumara talks about this idea of halacha ve'in morinkind. Sometimes the halacha is a certain way, but you're not supposed to tell people because, well, there's a few different understandings, but one understanding at least is it'll lead to misuse and abuse. It'll lead to uh, slippery slopes and, and it's, it's better to keep it, uh, keep it on the down low, keep it among people who know. But I assume this is a reflection of that idea when interacting with people um, who have, you know, who don't necessarily have the knowledge. And I guess, you know, maybe you're asking the wrong person because, you know, I gave the year and I translated the Hebrew and I translated it on my Facebook post too. So maybe I shouldn't have done that uh, if you really are w- want to uh, hide the details more. But um, I, I think the idea would be to be responsible. It's a question of, tell, you know, if you, if you know for a fact that if you tell the person the basis of the permission, they will abuse it, it's probably better not to do that. Um, alternative way of looking at it is to, is to trust the people you're talking to, to take them seriously as, as halakhic subjects. And if you say that it's aster for this reason, and this is applicable here, but not elsewhere, um, and uh, be responsible with that information, that's, that's another approach. Um, and uh, you know it's, I guess it's slightly less safe in some ways, but maybe it's also empowering. Maybe there are other benefits um, if you actually explain to people the, the reasons for the, the basis for the heter But I think it really depends on the case, depends on the situation, depends on the halakhic category. Um, yeah.
1: Maish, you, Tuckman, you had a question?
0: Yes, um, I
4: just wanted to say uh, with regard to the question that he posed about the microphone that that plays very much into the hearing aids that people don't think a, a half second about calling up someone to the Torah with a hearing aid on Shabbos and, uh, and no one has anything no problem with it but uh, it, it's not it's
0: not so clear that there's uh, a real problem with that either, but it's just something to put in your... It's that's a really important point. I think this touches on a larger, a larger point about electricity. And I didn't have time to get into this in detail, but I guess I do now for those who want to stay, um, which, is, which is that electricity... The, I, I mentioned we, that PSAK generally has settled on a Shlomo Zaman-Arbach's position, that it's, per, it's prohibited or as a strong minhag. The upside of that position is it gives you a lot of flexibility when you need to be make ill, when you need to be lenient for doctors or for people with hearing aids, you have, it's, it's very flexible. Because once something's darabanan and it's indirect and it's for a mitzvah, that's pretty easy to get those. And then it's mutter. So, um, and, and, uh, and, and that's essentially is how hearing aids work. I mean, I had a whole discussion. I have a friend of mine who has uh, a cochlear implant and we were talking about it, And I said, my understanding is if you ask poskim, they would say that talking, talking to you would, would be fine, but talking, you know, directing your speech at the, you know, the sound receptacle of the, of the implant would be technically prohibited. Um, so it's, it's interesting, it's not exactly clear where the halacha goes, but there's a clear interest in permitting those cases. You don't want people with hearing aids to not be able to hear on Shabbos. Um, and at the same time, if you applied that consistently, if you take Roshomo and Orbach to its logical conclusion, you end up with uh, not just Zumsidarium, but a lot of things. You know, you have a, a normal Shabbos lunch, not during coronavirus season. So you know Zoom, okay, it's electricity, and it's for a mitzvah of the Suda, and maybe you do it with a shinui. So okay, or you ask a non-Jew to turn on your Zoom, and now it's mutter according to many people. That no posting is going to say that. And so the, the problem is you, you want to have you want to be able to have the prohibition against electricity be flexible enough that the things that need to be usr are usr and the things that need to be mutter are mutter. And it's really it's a really delicate dance. And I think you're seeing some of the some of the implications here, and some of the uh, ten- tensions and some of the fissures here. Uh, in this very complex issue,
1: um, Joshua, you had another question.
0: Yeah, sorry. I, I just had a clarification
2: question in terms of uh, your point about uh, realist versus formalist, and how kind of the 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 borders on that uh, you know dividing line kind of uh, switched around. So, like for example, with someone who with for example Rav there. Uh, permitted, uh, someone to use Megillah and said that it, it would be deavid, uh, you know, puts are you, what, uh, what was your, could you, could you help clarify that a little bit? I, I didn't really understand, uh, where yeah, I, I guess the,
0: the, the question there is if I talk to you using an electric, uh, device, electronic device, am I actually talking to you or something else? Am I just, you know, producing electrons? That's essentially the question. If I'm just producing electrons, that's a very limited question. It depends on your view of electricity, maybe a couple of other uh, specific things, and you know, that's that. If I say that talking to you over the phone or maybe let's say better over Zoom is, is, like a, is actually a real experience, It's and just like writing with a pen is, is writing, writing over chat or over texting or maybe even over your having your image be projected, is really writing. If it's really writing, then that should be ussar d'oraysa. And that's, I think, where Ray Katz is coming from. At the same time, that's a chumrah in terms of Shabbos, but in terms of Megillah, that's a kula if you say that, and of course you can distinguish in these cases, but I don't think people always do, that uh, that hearing the Megillah by phone or hearing it over, over Zoom is, are you actually hearing the Megillah or not? If you're actually hearing the Megillah, that's a kula, right? You fulfilled the mitzvah. Um, if you say it's just a bunch of uh, electronic... Uh, you know, uh, electronic noise being sent your way that happens to sound like a Megillah reading but is actually meaningless, you're not say So that, that's, that's, I think, a large question here that's underlying a lot of these issues. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting that America and Israel seem to be on different pages on that issue, but it, it's, it's a Khmer and the Kula. It's, it's just a different way of experiencing um, how electronic communication works.